everyone. How are we doing? Everybody good? Thanks, guys. God bless you, Amy. It's good to have you with us, your mom. Good to have everyone here. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad that you're here this morning as well. Um, take your Bible and turn to Proverbs. You may say, which proverb? Yeah, like all of them. We're going to cover a bunch of Proverbs this morning. We're looking at different topics from the book of Proverbs. And I'd like to just remind you that uh, the book of Proverbs is given for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and direction to the young. It's one of the main purposes of Proverbs is to help us, to train us, to teach us uh, the ways of the Lord. Uh, we all need this. Everyone needs this. And there are certain topics that we really need this about. Uh, it also says in Proverbs, this is really the theme verse, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. We need the fear of the Lord. We need wisdom, the wisdom that comes in training. Now, I remember when I was 23 years old, I had just finished uh, a master's degree. Uh, I was meeting with a person who used to be my friend. Well, they were still my friend. They were, they were a friend. And this friend uh, was now working for an insurance company, uh, Northwestern Mutual Life, to be exact. And, um, you know, the quiet company, I think that's their name. Anyway, uh, and he started trying to sell me insurance. Now, this was a friend of mine. So I believed him. Um, and at that moment, as he was talking to me about the difference between whole life, universal life, and term life, I realized I know nothing about money. I know nothing about how to handle money. And I was angry. This is <laughs> not of my friend. I was just mad. I was mad that I'd gone through high school. I'd got a bachelor's degree in college. I had just finished a master's. I was working on another master's before I got a doctorate. Yeah, I know I'm well-educated beyond my intelligence, as my dad would say. Um, and I knew absolutely nothing about money. And I was ticked off. Like, somebody should have told, this seems like something you should know about money, how to handle money, what what different kinds of interest, different kinds of life insurance, different kinds of investments, just basic knowledge about money. Now, I realize that whenever a preacher gets up and starts talking about money, that you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to, you know, we're going to get rocked here about how much more money we should give to the church. I, I want to tell you the second most common theme in the book of Proverbs besides words is money. And it's one of the most common themes in the Bible because we know where our treasure is. That's where our heart is also. So if, if, our, if our treasure is in worldly wealth, then our heart is there as well. And so we need some understanding about money. In Proverbs 10, 16, it says, The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. <clears throat> For those of you who were here last week, remember this theme that words matter 
And there's all this teaching about the words of the wicked and the words of the righteous. And what I tried to instill in us last week was, it was the heart that made the words matter. That really, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, according to Jesus. So what the, the author of Proverbs is trying to say, even about money, is it's not the money. It's the heart. The heart of how we act and who we are changes how we handle money. It changes how we speak. It changes our words. But one of the things you're going to see today when I talk about money out of the book of Proverbs is this. Proverbs is really incredibly positive about money. It's not, it's not like money is the problem. It's like the heart is the problem. And he gives specific instructions about money. And so I, I want to share just a little bit about money and resources today. Because there's probably not much else that will keep us up at night like the whole thought of money. I mean, it's one of those things that when we lay our head down at night, especially if things are not going well, that money is, it's there. It, it, it distracts us, it keeps us awake. And so I want to talk about money in 25 minutes. I want to tell you everything I know about money in 20 to 25 minutes. <clears throat> it's not possible. Maybe 30, I could tell you everything I know, but it's going to be a little longer. Hey, y'all are going to have to lighten up on this July day just a little bit if we're going to make it through this. <clears throat> Over at my little castle on Vestavia Lake Drive, you know, Casa Nazo Grande, the place I live. Um, I try to keep, I try to keep it up, and uh, and working and looking decent. Um, you know, there's no shortage of lists of things to do to a 60-year-old house. You know, I mean, it just keeps growing and growing. I've got this whole list of items, and I'm trying to figure out what should I do. Should I restain the deck? Should I paint the exterior? Should I take down some trees that are inevitably going to fall on my house? Uh, I've got a couple of walls that are starting to crack. Should I replace those and paint that wall? I mean, the list just keeps growing and growing and growing, and I don't quite have the resources to pour into all of it. And at the same time, one of the things that happens is we use our house a lot to um, do things for the church. In other words, you know, like two weeks ago, we had um, dinner at the Brookins, which is where we invite new people to come to our house and to have dinner. And so I, I at least try to mow the grass and, you know, make it look halfway decent and, you know, just ignore the, the obvious flaws in my home. Well, like 15 minutes before the whole group of about 15 people is supposed to show up. I hear my wife screaming in the kitchen um, because this is our oven. It, it, it's a nice looking oven and she, she starts screaming because, because something happened that I now can't show you. Can you help me there, Mark? The oven door fell off. The hinges on the door broke. Like, there was no putting it back. There's not like taping it. Have you, ever, have you ever lifted an oven door? Those suckers are heavy. So, 
you know, we're at this point where we're going to show everybody's coming to our house. It's going to be nice. And now I don't have to worry about the walls or the deck because it's so obvious the oven is. <laughs> now, praise God, my wife cleans things. So the oven was not like, you can imagine some of you, if your oven door was off, what uh, is now exposed to the whole world. But fortunately, our oven was relatively, relatively clean. All of this to say, money, money goes after our minds and our hearts. And if we're not careful, it'll seize us. So today, I want to talk about some of the ideas about money from the book of Proverbs. Again, can't cover everything. For instance, I'm not going to, uh, Proverbs talk about debt, talks about debt. I'm not going to be able to talk about debt. Debt's bad. I'll just throw that out there. Stay out of debt. Uh, I'm just going to try and talk about some of the positive aspects that Proverbs teaches us about money. And if you look at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, this is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. All the rest of it is about instructions, but look at this three-verse prayer from the book of Proverbs. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Isn't that an interesting prayer? God, don't give me too much. I can't handle it. If I get rich, it's possible I could disown you. But at the same time, don't make me too poor because then I might have to steal in order to survive, and then I would dishonor. And I think these are the two extremes of money that will snatch our hearts if we're not careful. It'll, it'll lead us to disown or it'll lead us to dishonor. And we want to stay in a balanced perspective. We want to stay where our attitudes about money and resources are healthy and honor God, and we at the same time take ownership for what he's given us. So here we go. Let's look at some points from Proverbs about resources. First, I just want to say this, and this is really important. Our God is a generous God. God is a generous God. It says in um, 2 Corinthians, for first it says in Proverbs, and I'm struggling, so I'm going to shift here. That clicker, it hates me. We've been through this before about how much that thing dislikes me. Give me one second, people. All right. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Does this first not, like, strike you? Like, wait a minute. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. He, he, the author of Proverbs sees money as a blessing, and our God is a generous, generous God. We, on the other hand, too often, we've picked up this attitude that money is bad. Money's bad. We just need to really be careful. 
we, we need to be careful about money because it's not money that's bad. What is the root of all evil? It's the love of money. It's when our hearts are given to money. Is, money is just a resource. Money-like words are seen as neutral. But it's our hearts that need to be, that need to be guarded. In Corinthians, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What we see in the Bible is that God is a generous God. He's poured out on us so many blessings from wealth to food to creation. You know, it's hard to go through and look at creation without coming away and saying, our God is a generous God. It's one of the reasons I love to go outdoors. It's one of the reasons I love to go into nature. And uh, this, these are pictures of the Grand Tetons. This is where Adam, my second son, uh, lives and guides. These are a couple of pictures. I There's something about being in nature to me that every time strikes me that our God is a generous God. Our God is, is open. Do you know that God made everything for you? Why? To draw your heart to him. And it's one of the things that strikes me when we get out in nature is that our hearts, at least for me, you may have different things that draw your heart to the generosity of God and how great he is. And I believe that if we could, we could see that every moment we are swimming in an ocean of divine generosity, that it would transform who we are. Instead of the idea that God is holding out on you, if you could get a hold of the truth that you serve a generous God, it would transform. I mean, it's a dangerous verse to say the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. You know, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll turn out to be great, jumping on that prosperity doctrine thing. It's not the point. It's not presuming upon God, but it's receiving from God. The truth that he is generous and that he loves us. And his generosity is being poured out. The problem is that we are a fallen people. We're a fallen people. And God is in the redemptive process. And God wants to redeem every aspect of you. He wants to redeem your heart. And when he does, like we looked at last week, if he redeems your heart, then your words will be transformed. And also the way you handle your money will be transformed. Raymond Ortland, who, who's an author, pastor, he uh, has given four problems that are presented with money in the book of Proverbs that I found very helpful. And they're these, control, conflict, Confusion and corruption. Just real quickly, let's run through these. Control. Too often, we, we try to control people or we try to control things with our money. And there's this illusion that we are in control. The author of Proverbs says, People curse the man who hoards grain, 
but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. What is the guy who's hoarding grain trying to do? He's trying to control the situation. He's trying to control circumstances. By the way, hoarding in Proverbs is never seen as a good thing. It's, it's seen as a danger, an illusion that we're trying to control circumstances around us. Bruce Walkie, who wrote a commentary on the book of Proverbs, says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. Do you hear that? The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves in order to what? Advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. It's this, this idea, I'm going to control money because when I control money, I can control people. And if I can control people, then I can control the circumstances around me. And this illusion of control is got another name. It's called sin. We're trying to make things happen in and of our Selves. I don't know if you saw this past week that um, Jeff Bezos, the guy who founded Amazon, um, let's go back to it. He went to space. Well, sort of. He went to the edge of space. He went on a seven-minute rocket ride that cost like millions of dollars. Afterwards, he's the guy laughing in the cowboy hat, <laughs> and um, he's one of the richest man men alive. And I don't know if you saw what he said afterwards, but basically, here's my interpretation of what he said. He was trying to thank people, but instead it came across like this. I want to I say thanks to all the Amazon employees and people who purchased Amazon because I went to space on your backs. I, I mean, that's how it came across was basically, I went to space on the back of my employees. In other words, I controlled the situation. I have changed circumstances because I'm that good. Now, maybe he wasn't trying to come across like that, but I think it's, the, it's what happens when we have a lot of money at times. We have this illusion that we are in control. The other thing that uh, money causes that's a problem in the book of uh, Proverbs is conflict. A greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Too often we, we use money and it causes confusion and conflict. The word um, greedy here literally means wide of appetite. Wide of appetite. We have this wide appetite because we're greedy. I just want to consume it all. And by the way, the author of Proverbs has no idea that in the 20th century, America is going to come along. And a whole thing called a consumer mindset is going to take over the world. I mean, that, that was the furthest thing from uh, Solomon's mind and the author of Proverbs is that uh, this whole consumer mentality would, would, would jump on us. Has any culture ever had a wider appetite than us? Results in wider bodies, I know, but I'm just saying, wide of appetite, that's who we are. We're, we're greedy in who we are, and it causes conflict. We're, we're ready to go to battle all the time. Okay, I'm going to move on. It also causes confusion. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The word deceptive here means wages that are a lie. And 
it causes confusion among people. It also causes corruption. The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. This is getting the money from whatever means is necessary, and it causes evil in the sight of people around. And this is, this is why we need redemption, because our means of handling resources... Are you hanging in there with me just for a second? We need redemption because if not, the way we handle money will control, cause conflict, confusion, and corruption in our hearts. You'll start cutting corners in order to get more money that will in turn dishonor who God is. If your redemptive heart is not being changed, your marriage will have incredible conflict I, I, I could, I, I try to not look at specific people sometimes when I preach because I know that money is causing conflict in marriages in our church. I know because that's the way the enemy works. He tries to take something that's in our heart and, and, and make us come to head. We, we, we have couples, you know, one's a spender and one's a saver. And so there's this conflict that occurs. And rather than dealing with the, the challenges and, and allowing God's redemptive change to take place. We need the gracious, the, 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 the God who, who pours out his blessings on us to change who we are, to redeem us. You know, redemption is even a monetary term, really, when it comes right down to it. We need to be changed. So, how do we get the resources that God wants us to have from this gracious God. How do, we, how do we get this provision that he has? And the Proverbs give some, some different ways. Just hang on for a second. These are the ways God gets his provision to us. Somebody say, hallelujah, we get to work. Yeah, we get to work. Lazy hands make what? A man poor, but diligent hands, working hands, bring wealth. One of the ways God gets his money to you is by your work. As a matter of fact, it's anti-biblical to say that God will get his provision to you apart from work. I mean, over and over God talks about working. Now, he can provide it things you need in a lot of different ways. But if you're not working, it seems as if money dries up. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? That uh, we need to be a working people. I know. It's not an exciting message. It's not like, oh, wow, this is revelatory. Yeah, it is for some people. They need a revelation in their life that they need to get to work. Okay, I'll quit that. He who works his land, I have one more verse though, but there's a lot of them. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Oh, if you thought that was, was good. He also gets his money to you incrementally, according to Proverbs. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. I don't really want to preach against the lottery. But the lottery is not your retirement program. 
I mean, it's not really biblical. It's not like God dumps millions of dollars in your lap. And by the way, if you do any study of lottery winners over the last 50 years, the one uh, conclusion you'll come away with is this was terrible for them. Very few have survived wealth being dumped in their laps. Why? Because according to God's plan, our way to accumulate wealth is by work and incrementally. I could stay here a long time. I'm going to keep moving on because we still have the kids in the service. Um, God also provides according to need. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. He gives according to need, but he gives and wants to provide in an environment where other things are healthy. He also provides by just being a generous God. One man gives freely, yet another gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I, I don't know if you're picking up on this real quick, but God provides money to generous people, is what he's saying. Those who learn to, to live in generosity, he provides them with more resources. Look at the second half of this verse. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. This is not just an Old Testament passage, by the way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Okay, listen up real quick. Our God is a generous God, but he wants to redeem a fallen people so that he can entrust us with his wealth so that we can be generous. We're so bad, so bad that we reverse this in order to try and manipulate God. We, we try to grab God's... We want, we want to be generous in order that God will think better of us so that in turn we'll obligate him to give us more money. This is at the heart of what's called the prosperity doctrine. This is a, a messed up version of the gospel that says, look at what, look at what Proverbs says. It says our God is generous, he redeems the fallen people, and he wants to be generous to us so that we can be generous to others. Yes, all of that is true. But if, you, if your heart is not redeemed and fully following after God, then your generosity will result in a manipulation of God that says, I'm obligating God. I'm going to throw out my seed, and he is obviously obligated to bless this seed and prosper me 30, 60, 100-fold. I'm going to claim it in the name of Jesus. That's how bad we are. That's how bad people are. Even within the church, we love money so much that we'll try to obligate the God, the creator of the universe, in order to get more money from him, rather than saying, God has been so gracious in every way, and I just want to be a generous person. It should be that being generous is our joy. It is our privilege. It is our honor to give away. Each man, 
should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God what? He loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because our God is a cheerful, generous God. This is, I think this is critical for us people to understand that we don't serve a miserly God who is holding out on us. But in turn, we serve a great God who loves us so much and is pouring out his blessings upon us. There's a thing in um, business and church life known as the Pareto Principle. This principle says basically that within church life, within church life, 20% of the people give 80% of the money. As a matter of fact, in this principle, it states, it states that 20% give 80%. It says also that 20% basically do 80% of the work. In any volunteer organization, 20% of the people give 80% of the money and also do 80% of the work. 60% give the other 20% and 20% within any organization give nothing. This is the Pareto Principle. I read an article on this that just was written just a couple of months ago. And the author was saying basically that this principle is an absolute truth in almost every volunteer organization. And in fact, that it's closer that 10% of the people give 90% of the resources within any volunteer organization as far as time, resources, money, everything. And he goes on to say, if you can move it up to like 25% of the people give 80% of the money, or he said, I don't even know places where 30% of the people give 80% of the money. So I said... I wonder how we're doing. I wonder how fullness is doing. So I, I, I want to tell you that I don't look at money. Like, I, I couldn't tell you how, I, I don't even want to call out names. I can't tell you how much anybody other than me and Kathy give to our church. I just don't look at numbers for what people give to our church. You may say, well, why do you do that? Well, I do it because I don't want to think differently. I don't want to give somebody preference. That's how bad I am. So this is just my own heart. I don't want to give preference anyway, nor do I want somebody to come up to me and say, hey, I really wish we would do this in the children. And for me to say back to them, well, maybe we could if you gave a little money. Because if I knew that, then I might be really ugly to someone. So I don't want to do that. So I just don't, I don't look. Now, some of you aren't even laughing at that. You're like, I don't know, maybe you should say something to them. It's not my point. So, but I had uh, Wendy, our financial person, do a deep dive into our resources over the last 18 months to say, what, where are we in the last, since the beginning of 2000, and what was that terrible year? 2020 until now, how are we doing? And I want to say to you, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you as a people because the author who said you're never going to get to 30% at fullness, or, let me get there. I'm so proud of you. At fullness, 47% of our congregation gives 80% of the money. 47%. He said, you're not going to get to 10 or you might get to 20, barely ever 30, but 47% of people who claim to be members of fullness give 80% of the money. 
And we, by the way, we've had a very good 18 months. God has really blessed us financially. I'm not, sometimes uh, there are people <laughs> on our team who, who are afraid to tell you you're doing a great job because they're afraid you'll say, oh, I'm, I can slack up. No, I'm just, I believe in saying you are a generous people. You understand that we serve a generous God. So I'm not coming to you today saying we need more money. I mean, we can always use more. Um, you know, Amy's, Amy's got needs. We're blessing her. We could bless her even more. What I'm trying to say is we want our hearts to be aligned with our generous God so that we in turn reflect that and continue to be a joyful, generous, hilarious giving people. Amen? Now, just in case you wondered, uh, 34% give the other 20%, which means that we pretty well match the national average in that almost 20% of our people who are members give little or nothing to the work here. I'm not coming here to beat up the 20%. I, I would encourage you to look at your finances because if indeed we're a redeemed people, we serve a generous God, he, calls, he, he blesses us with generosity so that we can give to others. One of the things giving does for you, and this is not a sermon on giving really, it's a ser sermon on resources, but one of the things giving to God does is break the love of money hold on, that it's got on your heart. It breaks that selfish, greedy, like I just got to get more, got to get more, got to get more. You know, my granddaughter, she's two years old. I, I have no shortage of women in my life telling me what to do. Really, I mean, it's, I've been blessed in this way. But no one bosses me around like she does. I mean, she just stands up and she, she can't say poppy, that's who I am, so she calls me body, which I think is... I think it's appropriate. And anyway, she just kind of, kind of, come on, body. Come on. <laughs> I, doesn't matter what I'm doing, I get up and I go with her. She just tells me what to do. She thinks she's the center of the universe. And for me, she really is. But she thinks she's the center of the universe. Now, at some point in her life, I pray she gets over that. But I will say clearly to some of us here today, we have not recovered. We still think we're the center of the universe. Me? The universe. Money comes to me because the universe is revolving around me. And redemption is this. God, God who was rich in every way, became poor in order that you might become rich. The redemptive message is that God is the center and he's being generous to us so that we can in turn be generous to others because we are his ambassadors. He is making his, the king is saying to us, speak for me, give for me, live for me so that people will see who I am and will be drawn to me. And one of the ways we do that is by freedom in finances being able to give it away. So, I just want to say to you in closing, number one, assume you're in denial about how you build security. Just assume, because you are. 
and so am I. The way we build security with money, especially, we're in denial. Just assume, just start with this as a, as a place to go. Then, place your heart in an abundant giving God. To know that God has given to you abundantly, and let's just give our hearts to him. Then, trust him, not your resources. Hello? This, really, this is it about perspective. Trust him, not your resources. Then, begin to do some self-talk to yourself. Hey, self. We're pretty self-centered. Start talking to your imagination about your relationship to money. Understand that your relationship to money is consuming some of us. And then, make an intentional plan for generosity. Some of you should write this down. Because very few people are generous by accident. I mean, it usually doesn't happen. We need to have a plan in being generous. Now, some of you may say, well, he, you know what he's doing? He's trying to manipulate me into being generous to this church because they need my money. That's another one of them preacher things where they're trying. Look, here's what I want to say to you. I, we have a whole other teaching on we believe that, yes, you should give to the place that you're a part of. But if you see this as manipulation, then I'm saying to you, just get generous anywhere. I'm that free. To say to you, get generous anywhere in the kingdom of God. But you're going to have to have a plan for it. You need to look out for it. You need to say, God, how can I be generous in the world around me? How can I bless those in missions doing the work of God? How can I pour into someone like Amy Jacks? How can I pour into some of the campus ministries we have here at A Part of Fullness? How can I pour into this activity that feeds the hungry? How can I be generous? But if you don't have an intentional plan, you probably will come back in five or ten years and say, you know, I really, I really didn't give anything away. Start now, living a life of incredible generosity. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. By the way, I, I, I didn't really preach on this, but many times falsehood and lies follow our fear of losing money. We'll do whatever it takes to keep it. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I pray that we at fullness, we are an honorable people who love our God. We pour out in generosity to the world around us, to the needs around us, and that we, we never become so secure in our wealth that we disown that it's our God who has provided for us in every, 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 every single way. Stand up. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment. God, we acknowledge that we, as 21st century Americans, we have been infected with ideals about money that affect us all. And so, Lord, right now, we just want to we want to confess, even if we're deceived and don't know, we want to confess that some, some things about money have, have stolen part of our hearts.
And we want our hearts to be totally and completely yours. We know your eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth. That you may strongly support those who hearts are completely yours. So we pray that our hearts, Lord, will be yours so completely that your eyes will fall on us. And may money not get in the way. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be so given to you. We trust you. Lord, may we confess, talk, speak of your goodness in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are here today. I pray that you'll give us a a total makeover of our hearts and that we'll begin to plan now for ways that we can be generous in the future. Help us, O Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I will love you. Have an incredible day in the Lord.